two things. I mean, visualisation is also part of it, and I wanted to bring Bruce in here because there has been some EvoGrid development recently, and I think, I mean, ultimately what you're trying to create with EvoGrid, Bruce, is one of these great open-source artificial life projects fundamentally. So do you want to talk a little bit about the philosophy of visualisation and maybe some of the philosophy of using existing black box tools with regards to creating the EvoGrid? Yeah, and Peter may be listening in, and I welcome his comments, but to build the EvoGrid, instead of... um, of creating uh, basically a chemical simulator of our own or a particle or an abstract universe simulator. We chose what we felt to be a a leading open source component called Gromax, uh, which has has years and years of development in it. It has many users, institutional users. It's totally open source. And Peter was able to export the binary format from it because we had to put a feedback parse the binary format, put it into a new server architecture, and then allow distributed clients uh, to analyze the, the dump. And that's the real, <clears throat> the real goal of EvoGrid Deep, is to run it for some frames with hopefully millions or billions of, of particles, which some of which are, are objects really, like molecules. Dump the frame out at a certain point and let distributed analyzer clients go and look through it. And those analyzer clients will be based on the open source Boink framework, which of course people know more popularly as SETI at home from UC Berkeley. So the visualizer component of the EvoGrid is entirely screen savers that are looking for signs of emergent ratcheting up complexity, uh, i.e. structures, kind of regular structures or repeating structures in space or in in time or reactions in time, reaction sequences. So either behaviors or structures or both. And so you're you're distributing you're doing two things. You're you're gonna distribute your your engine across a grid of machines you can have the maximum computing power. But only a very little patches of the simulation itself will be visualized in, in order to look for these this self emergent complexity. So the visualization isn't Going to even you're not never dream of, of visualizing the whole thing at once. You're just trying to find interesting stuff going on, and when you find interesting stuff going on in an area, <clears throat> the SETI at home grid or the Evo at home Evo grid at home clients report back to the server and say, "Found something interesting. Why don't you you know you can do with that what you will." Um, what the server may do is say, "Well, let's throw more more computers or cores." And, and allow this little area isolate it, to put it in a race. Power. Go, go ahead, Eric. Uh, I was saying you can isolate it and put it in a race at that point, start evolving it for locomotion parameters, and then put it back in a world. Um, well, of, of course, the, the, the challenge is what we're trying to do on the scientific side of the evil grid is to really do it in the terms of a black box where uh, we're allowing the simulation to kind of request up more, more computing resources based on our belief system about what's important, but we're not driving it. So we're we're trying to let em- the emergent phenomenon uh, come out on its own rather than teasing it out or having intelligent designers uh, making making widgets in the system. Pretty interesting. It's, uh, it's the opposite of the only A-Life application on Boink now I know of, genetic life, where he does the computation for the primordial soup on everyone's PCs. 
gets like 50 trillion generations or something like this, and then he just writes out the final soup file and uh, he says he gets a lot of parasitism, sort of distributed organisms, can't really isolate one to export. And that, but that, uh, maybe it's in need of uh, distributed analysis. Yeah, and that early on we decided um, we could have done it that way. Right. The, the challenge, the problem is um, for, for what we were trying to do, we were actually literally trying to simulate an actual full-size little toy universe, which means a cubic centimeter of dirty water in the primordial soups of, of the ancient oceans is a massive computing challenge. Just a cubic centimeter of that stuff, you know, some little bit of heat on one side and cooler on the other side. So if you're going to actually try to simulate the chemical origins of life, I mean, you're in for a huge thing. What, what, what yeah. really, in the lab, in, in chemistry, and, and, you know, I see this when I go to places like Flint and Denmark, those guys have a massive computing capability called, uh, you know, called pe chemical vessels. And, and there's massive computing going on in these vessels as they cook them in their ovens and then they they shake them and then they add new things and there's all this computing going on in chemical computing. And then they have a half million dollar, million dollar microscope where they take a small sample and they look. And, and it's a very small sample and they, in a time slice, they look with the human eye and try to see something or maybe there's an automated way of microscopes now. But it's the same, it's, a, it's a really the same thing, except that we want to put a million digital microscopes on a on one small but uh, rich sample, uh, very analogous to what Flint would do. Yeah, we, we, we and each client should get these snapshots of a small region of space spanned in time so they can show if things are breaking off into smaller pieces or things like this. Yeah, and, and here's the problem, and there's a boundary problem, because the each each client that's, that's doing analysis is, comes up to a boundary where, you know, something interesting might be happening in the next boundary. So the server has to say, well, this one reported little rings forming, and then this one who was analyzing this patch some milliseconds or seconds later also reported a few rings in its little patch. So there's a bigger patch of, of rings forming somewhere, and therefore I, you know, the, the server has to make the decision what's interesting. And so really you can't get away from having a central grid. If, if you try to distribute, if you try to distribute these primordial soups on people's PCs like that other project, you're going to have very trivial, very small primordial soups. Uh, and yes. you're, you're, you really want the biggest primordial soup you can possibly get and the most eyes looking at it. And, and that means we're going to have to go hat in hand at the, some point begging for some supercomputing grid that's willing to run the big version of this. So, you know, we'll need a, we'll say, we'll just need a million cores. You know, please, cores, you know, sir. Yeah, like I don't know where you'll be doing the simulation if you can get supercomputer time for that. You know, I'm sure it'll it'll appear at the right time. And of course, uh, Gromax was built to run on a grid and does run on grids. So that that problem is that portion of the challenge has been at least met partially by the Gromax community. But then Peter nice. Peter's servers and everything have to deal with. I mean, in a sense, it's a massive development project. And what we're trying to build now is a very, very simple prototype to give a direction, to say, 
to the community, if someone was willing to invest millions uh, in a kind of Craig Venter style or, or in a big science way, uh, you could you could scale this up. If, it's, if, if our initial prototype shows interesting, not really results, but an interesting direction that, that we can actually operate this way, right. then then some some wonderful benefactor appears from space or whatever, riding a rocket down to us and says, uh, "How much do you want on this check?" and oh, wow. the institute and uh, rent the computer. We rent Amazon. This cloud. is uh, this is Earth Elements, this Gromax program. This is a uh, real chemistry simulator. That uh, that means the Evo Sim video where you uh, replicate them at the end can come true. Yeah, and you know, it's th as we talked about in many previous uh, Biota podcasts, there's a community that says, you know, are you are you mad? Are you trying? Are you mad? You're trying to simulate chemical reactions and even, uh, right. which means the quantum level, which means active domains on molecules, which is a hard unsolved problem anyway. Um, are you are you completely insane? You should be doing much simpler universes. And Tom talks about chemical automata. Um, and then there's the, the people like uh, the, the Flint people and the people who are in the protocells work who are saying, please, can you please make this close to chemistry because it can be a useful tool. And you're absolutely right. In you know 50 years, if yeah. we did something that was analogous to chemistry, we could potentially fabricate the thing. Well, Tom Ray can't appear on uh, October 2nd's Bias Live because he's speaking at the Craig Vintner Institute. So maybe. Tom Ray is slightly closer to these funding sources than uh, the rest of us mere mortals. But I wanted to continue with the surveying to talk a little bit about uh, Framsticks and Darwin at home, and it's a pity that, uh, that Gerald can't be on the call this evening. My understanding currently from, uh, from talking with Gerald is that he, well, the current, the Darwin at home source that he's developing currently is not actually um, traditionally open source, although I may be wrong. He has actually pulled it back a little bit to do some uh, development associated with a game-like environment that he's described over previous Bias Lives. However, I mean, Gerald is the kind of fellow where, again, like John Klein, like Larry, you can get in contact with him if you have any particular interests. And certainly in the past, he's uh, been more than receptive to share source code with me, and, and I've passed him back source code as well, particularly with regards to planetary simulation. So, I mean, I think Darwin at Home is certainly a project which has uh, evolved outside of space and time in some regard, but followed uh, Gerald's own particular interests with architecture and uh, the kind of stuff that Dick Gordon researches with regards to embryonology and formation of embryos. And it, it really has a, a number of applications which seems to come through the, uh, the ongoing discussion with Gerald. So shout out to Gerald and with Ramsticks as well. I think it's a, a simulation which, uh, again, moves in a number of directions and is really part of this kind of... Uh, you know, undergraduate academic tinkering artificialized simulation that Brevet has existed in as well, this, this realm. I've mentioned AI Planet. I think the development with that, uh, as with, uh, as with Brevet, um, has, has been slowed down slightly as Dave has a, a young child. Uh, but again, you know, one of these fundamental integrative open source artificial life applications in terms of actually creating creatures in a very rich visual uh, planetary environment and certainly I think with regards to uh, eight circuits uh, Dave Kerr is, is really in that thinking in terms of moving artificial life in that particular direction we've had uh, apropos model 
insofar as these models go to A-Life, it's incredibly apropos. I mean, they talk about psychology being uh, apropos to A-Life, you know, and in practice it isn't often, but here's a concept from psychology that I think very much immediately is applies. Certainly, certainly. And, I mean, the recent correspondence I've had with Tom Ray certainly identified this kind of collective background interest that obviously Bruce is, is a part of a community as well that has been discussing the kind of edge of, of psychology, pushing the boundaries of psychology for, you know, 40, 50 years now. And really that is also vends quite neatly into the artificial life community. It, it's interesting that maybe contemporary computing is actually reaching that level, that kind of uh, at-singularity or perhaps even post-singularity point where these kind of simulations can evolve and actually uh, provide answers in software um, to, to these framed challenges. So uh, in terms of my list of things to talk about, I wanted to conclude a little bit with Noble Ape um, because obviously that's a simulation that I invest a, a bit of time into. And with regards to scripting languages in particular, I was contacted this week by a fellow who's interested in implementing uh, behavioral trees and testing behavioral trees uh, in Noble Ape, which was an interesting application of ApeScript that I hadn't thought about in particular. I've already discussed the idea of uh, noble apes existing in a polyworld environment and also uh, polyworld uh, creatures existing, sea monkeys <laughs> existing in, in noble ape, in the noble ape environment. And certainly, uh, I think this is a future direction that I'd like to uh, encourage. I mean, if, if crediting exists as well in this kind of uh, artificial intelligence in a simulated environment space, then obviously there's, there's potential future collaborations there as well. And the, the Linux version of Noble Ape is very much up to date. And if they want to utilize the kind of undulating visualization methodology, it's certainly very easy to include kind of feeding pellets and other uh, related elements. Although having said that, I am now also looking at... Um, Procedural movement, I've been developing, when Noble Ape was originally developed, there were predatorial cats that preyed on the Noble Apes, the, the fierce felines. And uh, after 15-odd years, I've decided to reintroduce the, the cats in the simulation environment. And as I was writing the code, they have smaller brains than Noble Apes that are um, you know, tuned more to, to cat-like behavior. As I was uh, writing the reintegration code, it occurred to me that the visualization in Noble Ape, as I think Bruce called a kind of mid-90s style visualization, really having another colored dot to represent the fierce felines as they're kind of sculpted and stalked and uh, lazed in the Noble Ape environment didn't really didn't really cut it. So I've been looking at procedural movement over the past couple of weeks in terms of reintroducing the felines and the apes and uh, a lot of the smaller entities and also the plants in the Noble Ape simulation to actually create a, a proper kind of... Uh, you know, current uh, visualization methodology that would also be part of the simulation methodology in Noble Ape. So that's uh, the transitional point with uh, Noble Ape currently. And in that regard, I'm now maintaining the three versions. Pedro, who was on an earlier Biota chat, I think, who had maintained the Linux version of Noble Ape for a number of years, works at CERN. Uh, and his work with CERN is kind of ongoing and um, you know it seems to be all consuming so I picked up the, the Linux version as well um, in terms of general maintenance but as, as, all, uh, as all the simulations that I've described this evening and, and Bruce and Eric has described as well 
you know, these are all, uh, well, some of them more active than others, but certainly all welcoming contribution, feedback and interaction. And I think what's particularly exciting is this discussion that, uh, you know, Eric has highlighted in terms of uh, not necessarily competitive behaviour between simulations, but perhaps future collaborative behaviour with, uh, you know, what... Uh, Larry is doing with Polyworld currently, what's going on with Chris and Ding, potentially Noble 8, potentially Framsticks, potentially even Darwin at home. I know um, we haven't discussed any of Scott Schaefer's simulations. Bruce, do you want to talk a little bit about the, the simulations Scott Schaefer has developed? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a little out of date because we haven't had a great sum meeting, but um, he's done a number of, you know, from Nanopond, um, to really energetic CA simulations. I mean, he just keeps turning them out one after the other, variations on a theme. I think he's in an extremely productive uh, period. You know, I don't know how the economy has affected him, but you know, he's one of those people that the community really needs. Um, the the free free agent who's generating really new, fresh stuff. Yes, I received an email today from someone who tried to download Scott Schaefer's visions of the Evo Grid, and somewhere in the bio to move his visions of the Evo Grid audio was lost. However, the two um, uh, Biota Live Light uh, sections of his audio were maintained, so I put those in the in the feed instead. So for for folks who want to hear about Scott's most recent work, although it's probably about three or four months out of date now, I mean, go back and listen to his. Uh, particular visions of the Evo grid, because as you say, it maps onto his kind of own development. Although the feedback that I've received is that um, he is relatively, as, as we all are who have work, he's relatively lucky to have work currently and seems to be investing a lot of time into that. In terms of the grey thumb movements, this is something else that we haven't really discussed in recent biotolides. What's what's your sense? I mean, you're going to the UK. What's your sense with regards to the, the Grayson movements internationally and the ones that you've experienced, Bruce? Well, I, I think, you know, certainly our Bay Area one has been affected by the, the downturn. Um, uh, OSHER, I think, is leaving SRI, and that was our meeting spot. Everyone is kind of rushing around uh, trying to preserve their income, and people have shifted jobs. So I... I think it's a lull. I mean, I don't, um, I don't foresee being able to do a great sum meeting in the UK uh, on this trip. Uh, certainly, the the wonderful thing is if if I'm able to be involved in Artificial Life 12, uh, which is one of the reasons I'm going to Denmark uh, in about a month, is is that uh, I will be a, a human physical conduit to the A Life conference uh, that I can reach out do some outreach to the Graysum-type world and suggest that they might be able to submit papers for that particular track. So, so I'm hoping that my continued involvement uh, as sort of in the cross, the, the crossing between the A-Life, the, the academic A-Life and the wet A-Life communities and the complexity communities and the Evil Grid project and whatever, I, I can help encourage <coughs> more Graysum meetings and presentations and uh, and the involvement in the Life 12 conference. And I heard, I mean, perhaps inspired by his recent travels, that Dick Gordon has bought a camper van and created, I guess it's not no further, it's further and further on, a kind of mobile camper that he's going to perhaps come and camp at the farm, your farm for a month and then go down and hang out with William R. Buckley for a month. 
Can you talk a little bit about uh, the, the roving bus that is, that is Dick Gordon's academic existence currently? Yeah, we've, um, we're trying to work out when we're going to be here because we have a, a big family matter and a move uh, we're trying to do from the East Coast or resolve in other ways. Uh, and, but I'm definitely planning to be here for a week. Uh, it may be possible for him to be camped, parked here for a, a period of time. Uh, we just had, came through a crisis, a pig crisis today with a major vet visit. Gosh. So um, They're expensive creatures, aren't they? Yeah, well, it was a three-hour attempt to uh, deal with real biota in the form of piglet, who's 80 pounds of fury. Uh, she's no longer a piglet, but trying to get her her four-year shots and uh, her toenails clipped and whatever, and it was just basically uh, me and two vets uh, manhandling this animal and trying to get her into a corner and get her injections and handle her. Uh, so it's definitely... And I got bruises and scrapes to show for, I'll tell you. I can imagine. But is the plan... I mean, is, is Dick's plan to write a sequel to Divine Action Natural Selection? Is he planning on just... I mean, he was certainly very energized when he came through here. His time with Steve Grand, and then even though we had only a very brief time together, I think left him with a with a kind of vibrant energy, which has continued in his you know in his travels, and he seems to want to continue on. I mean, I think this this move for him to uh, you know to get. I mean, when he travelled through here, he was in a a small station wagon packed to the hilt with two relatively large dogs and, and Natalie um, as well. So I'm glad he's gotten slightly larger accommodation to do this trip. But, I mean, my experience with Dick coming through was just absolutely wonderful. I mean, I, I really enjoy having people come through, uh, and particularly folks who are part of the artificial life community. And I think another exciting thing is, and particularly this, this applies to Eric as well, because Canada will be the place potentially relative near where, where Eric is currently talking to us from. I mean, Biota 5 is really the thing after Artificial Life 12 in terms of the, the conference that Dick is, is thinking about and planning currently. Do you want to talk about this, this kind of broader movement that Dick is inspiring in his travels? Well, I think that, okay. yeah, I, uh, what Dick seems to want to have the theme, and I think it's excellent, um, for Biota 5, which may be in, win in winter pig, as uh, us Canadians are usually call it, um, is the origin of design, i.e., is design something that emerges from nature? Is it, you know, this is a, the, the, the form of, that the, the book took. Um, but design is everywhere around us, and um, if it emerged through evolution, it's an amazing thing. If it emerged through a creator, well, that's another you know, amazing thing too. But in a sense, I think he wants to vivify Dina, the book, Divine Natu Intervention, Natural Action, in in, a, in the conference. And I think it's potentially timely and very interesting. Uh, if we have evil grid results by then, we may see the emergence of very, very simplistic designs uh, from the simulation. We could present that in 2011. But it sounds like through the other simulations that have been described this evening, there, there are equally, well, maybe more long-term results that could also be uh, presented. I mean, Eric, as, as you're listening, and I think your first call related to your frustrations of not having a vibrant artificial life community around you with the sense that in, in 2011 
you will, uh, you know, you will be converged upon by all quarters from for artificial life developers the the world over. I mean, this must be an interesting idea to have Biota Five in your part of the world. Yeah, well, it is. You know, I I, I would go to something like that. Um, I, I just want to say, in the event of natural selection, you know, these simulations we're doing now that start with. Uh, types of bodies already in place and this sort of thing or might be the only ones that will result in phenomena like we see on Earth um, in the event of intelligent design. That is probably not the case, and the evil grid is likely to succeed, but we are uh, thousands of hours out from hitting the wall with the simulations like Polyworld and, and Critterding, and I think to a certain extent all of them are competing for users and uh, need people to, to uh, explore the phase space that, that, they, uh, that they open. And maybe that's what the show is about this evening, is really talking to, well, I mean, in, in, many, in many regards, talking to the choir about these simulations, but also, uh, you know, describing where they are currently and where they're going in a kind of collaborative fashion in the future. Yeah, well, I, I certainly hope, like, maybe we can start to see uh, critter exchanges between, uh, between Polyworld and, and Critterding, you know, uh, well, this is really the vision of Biota Eve as well, fundamentally. If those two simulations are roughly orthogonal, maybe we'll start to see an exchange of, uh, of DNA between them. That's not uh, it's not clear yet. I mean, uh, software is heading towards openness. It's easier than ever now to run an application on any operating system. And uh, we had XML, and that came came to not so much. But uh, yes. this is the direction we're, we're, we're going in. One of the things um, we're trying to do with Evogrid is to sort of put this in before we run out of time, is to allow anybody to develop uh, starting soups or to suggest and run an experiment, and anybody to uh, modify the physics to create the artificial universe, and anybody to develop new analysis techniques to look for patterns. So really, really make it utterly open and hopefully scriptable in some way. Peter has a lot of experience with Python, so I, I suspect we might see Python emerge in there somewhere. Well, I'd like to thank you both for, for once again, you know, a, a, a wonderful discussion. It's a pity that uh, Larry Yeager couldn't be on the call. I think we need to start working out uh, better times, and this is going to come through with Mark Badeau and Tom Ray in the near future. Like I said, the next podcast will be on October the 2nd. It may feature Mark Bredow. It may feature something completely different. But the place to find that information is the Biota Conversations mailing list. Wonderful to speak with you both this evening. And, Eric, I mean, for folks who are interested in, in getting crediting, who may not be in the kind of, uh, you know, Linux community, is there, a, is there a general movement to produce a, a Windows or a Mac version? Is that something that you could see happening in the near future? I think so. I think we'll see some ports. People should help us port it if they have those other operating systems. It's certainly relatively easy to, to test. I mean, even even if it's not auto-config uh, or anything like that ready, it's certainly easy to test the uh, the Mac-related port. With the um, mobile late version for Linux, for example, I downloaded a GTK Plus um framework for uh, for Xcode, and I'm sure that something similar, in fact, I'm pretty sure um, something is similar for the for the critiquing, um, uh graphical API. I, I know that there should be one out there, so it shouldn't be too difficult. Yeah, it's all, uh, it's all OpenGL on SDL right now. I don't see problems moving it to other operating systems. I just I hope we get more users soon. There are more downloads after the beta release and uh, going on fresh meat than uh, uh, maybe ever. 
Yeah, fresh meat is key. Fresh meat is critical. Talk about what they're doing. I think it's really important they come on IRC and join the the mind share because it's a it's an important thing not to be running in a vacuum. You can get uh, started in a big hurry by talking to people who already have and uh, so on. And if if anything interesting happens, there should be people there to tell you whether or not it's remarkable. Well, we'll see what happens. Terrific. And Bruce, you're you're departing shortly for another European whirlwind trip, by the sounds of things. Yep. Uh... PhD meetings in London. I'm going to see Galen in New Jersey, then PhD meetings in London, then Denmark uh, as well um, with Steen, Harold Fellerman, and Martin Hansig. So you'll be back sometime in November? Probably, yeah, around the 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th of November, something like that. It's a long one, so I'm winterizing the farm here. Gosh, gosh. Well, once again, I'd like to thank you both for participating, and thanks to folks for listening. Good night.